We're going to read uh, our scripture this morning is Luke chapter 9. If you have a Bible, you can look at it in Luke chapter 9, verse 28, or you can Google it on your phone. And from verse 28 through to verse 36, I'm going to read it, and then we'll look at a few things. Thanks, worship team. Pretty much preached the message, left me nothing left, so I'll, I'll have to drop out some things and <laughs> we'll just carry on. Jesus is glorious and the king of all things, way above everything else. Jesus is amazing. Thanks for that. Worship was so helpful. But let's go. Luke 9 verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up onto the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when he became, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as they were parting from him, Peter said, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is God's word. Do glory and suffering go together? Do glory and suffering go together? Great question. We'll, great question. we'll, see, <laughs> we'll see if we can... Have a look at it this morning. If this text has anything to say about glory and suffering. After these sayings, Jesus went up on the mountain to pray, and he took with him three disciples Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John had a business together fishing. They were brothers. Peter and Andrew were brothers, and James and John were brothers, and the four of them had a fishing business. Andrew got left out of this expedition. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I wonder how he felt. <laughs> Peter, James, and these are our buddies, my brothers. Literally, we've done life together business, and I was left at the bottom while the three of them went up to see glory. Um, I don't know where you are in this story. I know where I am. <laughs> I wonder if you've ever felt left out. I'm sure Andrew did. But as they ascend the mountain, Jesus has been saying, it says, after these sayings, what had Jesus been saying? What had been happening before this transfiguration experience? Well, we've seen Jesus being the Lord over creation, the Lord over demons, the Lord over all nature, the Lord even over death. There's a confession of Christ where the disciples believe that Jesus is the Christ. And then Jesus says to them, take up your cross. And he points to the cost of discipleship. Now they go up and they see his glory. Of course, we have the privilege of knowing what happens on the other side. He heads to Jerusalem for suffering and the crucifixion. This is the picture, the moment in the story. We kind of had a, a lovely arc, a lovely up. And there's about to become a huge, what appears to be, suffering and non-glory, which turns out to be 
the ultimate, most glorious thing that could ever have happened. And so up the mountain they go. Jesus is praying as usual. And it says that while he was praying, he was transfigured. It says he began to shine out. The glory began to come out of him. And we sang this morning about how glorious Jesus is. Glory began to emanate from him. This wasn't a reflected glory. This was him peeling back his human nature. For a moment, the glory was seen. They saw his glory. The miracle was that he was veiled in flesh. The miracle was what Cheryl read this morning, that he emptied himself and took on human flesh. The glory of Jesus is, if you will like, his natural state. He is God. He is the light of the world. The miracle was that his flesh failed that. And for a moment, his glory shines through. I wonder what the glory of God is or what it looks like. That's a very lovely term. You know? I, I, I love the glory. What does that mean? The glory of God is seen in the person of Jesus. It's described in a few ways. I'm going to try and describe it to you, something which is indescribable. The glory of Jesus. Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God said, okay, take a seat inside the rock and hide yourself and I will cause all of my goodness to pass before you and I will tell you who I am. And then the Lord spoke and said, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. When God describes his glory, that's how he describes it. The Lord, the Lord, slow to anger, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. That is the picture of God. John, describing this in his own gospel, this encounter with the glory of God, says, We have seen his glory. Behold, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen the glory, the glory of his Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's how John describes the glory of God. Glory of God isn't some just powerful cloud. It's a personality, if you like. It's a, it's a gracious, good, steadfast love is the very nature and the glory of God. Paul describes Jesus' glory in Colossians like this. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, you want to see the glory of God, you look upon Jesus. He is the manifestation of God and God's character. He is the firstborn over all creation. There's nothing which he does not have dominion over. He is the firstborn, the prince and king of all things, the, over all creation. For by him all things were created. He is the creator of the universe. He brought all things into existence in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. The purpose of all creation is for Jesus. All things are for him. He is glorious and preeminent. He is before all things. He was not created. He was before everything. Not only is he before everything, but he is the priority of everything. He is the most important thing there ever has been. He is the priority of all creation, of all things. In him, everything is held together. Not only did he make it, but he sustains everything, every fraction of the universe is held together by Jesus. It remains together because of the presence and existence of Jesus. There is nothing in all creation that remains together 
apart from the grace and glory of Jesus. And if he can hold the whole universe together, then he can hold us together. He is the head of the church. He shepherds, cares for, leads and builds his glorious church. He is glorious. So that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus really is above all. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is God. Through him he reconciled all things to himself. He alone can make things right. He alone can reconcile all things. And where is he reconciling them to? To himself, which is the place of peace and restoration and wholeness. Only Jesus is the restoration of all things. There's no psychology, politics, or anything that can restore all things. Jesus alone is preeminent above all things. Have you seen his glory? Have you beheld who Jesus is? All things, whether on heaven or on earth, he made peace by his blood through the cross. It was the cross, the suffering of the cross, which was Jesus' greatest gift of glory to us. Do you have a high view of Jesus? Do you behold his glory? We've been reading a book called Gentle and Lowly, which describes his character. Not only is the, the glorious great king, he is the gracious and compassionate one. He's gentle and lowly. He is able to sympathize with our weakness. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Hello. He, can, he will never cast out those who come to him. He ever lives to make intercession for those who need it. Hello. He is our advocate before the Father. He's deeply moved by our pain. He's the friend of sinners. He's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, the merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, who is rich in mercy, who loves us and who loves us to the end. The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. His glories know no end. Beholding this glory would surely have sustained the disciples for the coming events of the cross and the confusion of the things they would not understand soon to happen. The glory of Jesus sustains us through all of life's journeys. Do you have a high view of the glory of Jesus? He is glorious. Behold, two men appeared, Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Moses and Elijah, most commentators will tell you, represent the prophets and the law. Moses, who received the law. Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. And there they are, talking with Jesus. In fact, Jesus is greater than both of them. They are pointing to him. Moses had a light which he went up and received the law. If you remember the story, Moses in the Old Testament went up to receive God's law and he came down and he was shining. His face was full of glory. It faded because it was just a borrowed light from God. Jesus is the light of the world. Moses' glory was borrowed and fading. Here we see the light of the world. All the prophets were pointing to him. In these last days, Hebrews says, God has spoken to us through Jesus 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the whole world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint or manifestation of God's nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, and after making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. He is glorious and he has made redemption. He is the light of the world. And those who appeared also in glory were Moses and Elijah. I wonder what that conversation was about. If you can imagine Moses and Elijah chatting with Jesus, it's a pretty good conference, right? Let's discuss, the, let's discuss Bible truths with Moses and Elijah and Jesus. It's a good podcast. Sign me up. Well, they're speaking face to face. Moses, who said, show me your glory, is now speaking face to face with the glory of God, with Jesus, in standing in the promised land, which he never got to, is now seeing the fulfillment of the glory of God, what Jesus was about to do. In fact, Moses and Elijah tell us what they were talking about. It says they were talking about his departure, which must soon take place. And this is what they were talking about. They were saying, all the law and the prophets are telling us that this has to happen. This is the most glorious thing that's ever going to happen in history. And here's Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And what are they talking about? They're not talking about the good old days with the Feast of Booths or the old, you know, set up, let's set up a new t- tabernacle. They're saying, What's, what, what are we going to? We're going ahead to the cross. They're talking about Jesus' departure, which must take place. They're looking forward. Even Moses and Elijah are looking forward to this. You know, Moses and Elijah appear in glory. That's quite cool. There's a glorified body. This encourages me. I think the disciples seeing Jesus' glory is one thing. It's beautiful. It changes your life. It sustains you. I think for them, maybe seeing Moses and Elijah in a glorified state would be quite encouraging. You know, we're, we're going to join Jesus in glory. We're going to join that program. There's Moses and Elijah in glory. It says, Paul says that uh, in Philippians, our citizenship is not in heaven, but we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies. Yes, please. Transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. The glories of this world always amount to nothing. They are fading away. But the eternal glories of Jesus are more beautiful and more glorious and last forever. They were talking about his departure, but they were getting a glimpse of the glories to come beyond the cross. There is something much more beautiful than any suffering or pain. It is found in the glory and the person of Jesus Jesus is departing, but beyond his parting lies glory and eternal life. He is the Lord, not only over demons and death, but he is the Lord of eternal life itself. He is leading them to glory through the cross. There is a glory that far outweighs all things, and it is the glory of Jesus. And all those who follow him, follow him, through the way of Jesus, through valleys, through suffering, but through to the eternal glory of resurrection and a glorified body and a glorified state with Jesus. I'm looking forward to it, especially as I get older. Jesus, would you come soon? Have you beheld the glory of Jesus? Peter and the disciples, it says, were fully asleep. 
They were fully asleep on the mountain where Jesus was praying. This seems to be their habit. In Gethsemane, it happens again. They are fully asleep and Jesus is praying. Praise be to God. Praise be to Jesus who is glorious. You know, while we sleep, he tends to pray. He still ever lives to intercede while we're sleeping. Even Jesus is praying. Um, the one time the disciples seem to be praying is on the boat while Jesus is sleeping. It's like, you know, we've got the whole opposite thing going on here. Uh, <laughs> we're panicking. Jesus is sleeping. We're sleeping. Jesus is praying. He is such a good Savior. So good. I'm so glad we have him. He is glorious, isn't he? And they awoke, it says, from their sleep, and they saw his glory. They beheld his glory. And what did they think at this moment when they saw the glory of Jesus? When they caught a glimpse of how good Jesus was, what did they think? Well, Peter tells us what he thought. He often does that. I think things come into his head, and they normally just come straight out of his mouth. If you've followed Peter's story, what did they think? As they were standing there, the men were departing. Peter said, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make some tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. Not knowing what he had said, let us make three tents. It's good to be here. I wonder if you've ever had that thought. This seems really good. Let's just stay here forever. Yep. Yesterday was one of those days. <laughs> In fact, a few people said that, Let's, can we just live here? <laughs> I think literally someone said that. Peter wanted to make some tents and live there. You know, there's no good reason. There's no need for the tents. Think about Moses and Elijah going, Peter, what are you doing? I'm putting up a tent. Here's Moses and Elijah in their glory about to ascend back to the Father. And what, you want me to live here? <laughs> is, this, is this what we've got going on? Peter, I mean, maybe Peter was trying to show how much he knew about the Feast of Booths or something, trying to impress Moses with his theological prowess. God doesn't care about theological prowess. I can imagine Moses going, oh, there's Peter still trying to, you know, still on the theology bandwagon. He hasn't moved into the realities of glory with Jesus. Maybe you've done that. So proud of your theology of your Feast of Booths that you've built a tent. Do you behold the glory of Jesus? There's no reason that they would want the tent or even need any use of it. Perhaps Peter thought that he was building an eschatological base to rule the nations from. You know, Jesus is going to come back and rule the nations. I'll build you a tent so you can do it from here. <laughs> I know we're laughing at Peter. I think uh, we're so similar, aren't we? <laughs> Also notice this is in contrary to what Moses and Elijah are saying. Moses and Elijah are saying, we need to go down because Jesus has to accomplish a work in Jerusalem. And Peter's idea is, let's build a tent up here and stay here. So he's even <laughs> contradicting Moses and Elijah. We're so, we're so similar. In fact... Sometimes our good ideas are the exact opposite of God's will. God doesn't need our tent because he's prepared an eternal, glorious dwelling for us. Looking back on our tent, I think sometimes we might think, that was a little silly. God doesn't need us to arrange things for him. He has gloriously arranged all things according to his will. Be careful to trust God. You really do want something more glorious than your tent. 
And then Luke adds a little phrase that Peter did not know what he had said. That's my new life verse, which I'm going to put on my fridge. <laughs> I didn't know what I was saying, Jesus. <laughs> Peter wanted to stay on the mountain. God's kingdom agenda had moved ahead towards the suffering of the cross and towards the eternal glory of resurrection and life for all who believe, a much greater glory. It is good to be in the glory cloud. It is better to remain in the will of God, even if it is towards the cross. With God, the cross always leads to a resurrection. It leads to transformation, a transfiguration, something far better than if we'd ever remained where we were. Perhaps you are longing for the days of old, the days of glory gone by. God is working out something much better. It is way better to trust Jesus, to trust him, to forgive, to love, to move on, not to long for the days of glory gone by. In what ways do you say, God, it would be good for me to be there, or I am putting up this tent Maybe you've been putting up a tent of an unhealthy relationship which you shouldn't be involved in. Thinking that this tent will provide some kind of glory. Maybe you have an unhealthy relationship with work and you're just building that tent thinking it's going to provide some kind of glory. Maybe you have an unhealthy relationship with pleasure thinking that that tent will somehow provide you with a glory. Maybe you have an unhealthy relationship with your expectations of others, constantly circling around your unmet expectations of others, hoping that they will provide you a glory that only Jesus can provide to you, building away that tent. Maybe it's a tent of unforgiveness, that you're on your third or fourth story now. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship with something that does not have eternal glory. Maybe God's moved on, but you're still building the same tent. Maybe the difficulty of the season in front of you was too hard to move into, so you went back up the mountain to carry on building some kind of tent for glory. It is better that Jesus leads you. It is better that you follow him. And as Peter was coming up with his good ideas, there's a voice that comes. The cloud descends and interrupts. It says, it overshadowed them. They were afraid. And the voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The father interrupts Peter's theorizing about what is a good idea. And Peter becomes overwhelmed, afraid. And the father says, this is my son. Listen to him. The father declares what is better. He knows more. He is more glorious. The father's voice at the baptism of Jesus was, this is my beloved son whom I love. Seems to be speaking to Jesus. This is my son whom I love. Or you are my beloved son whom I love. This voice says, this is my son. It seems to be addressing it to the disciples. This is my son. And then he adds the words, my chosen one. 
my servant is another way of putting that. That idea of the servant, if you read in Isaiah and the Psalms, is the servant who must suffer, the servant who must go through pain to bring many to Jesus. The Father is saying, this is my son, my chosen servant, who needs to go through the cross for the glory of all mankind. Listen to him. Obey him. Jesus, the beloved son, is also the chosen servant. And we, in Jesus, are now God's beloved children and his chosen servants. They go completely together. Glory and suffering are part of the story of God. I doubt there's anyone who's never been through any kind of suffering. How do we think about it? Do we trust the Father's will? Do we trust his voice? Do we trust in Jesus? Jesus, the beloved son and the chosen servant, we too are his beloved children and his servants. There was another time that the voice from heaven came in John chapter 12. It was when Jesus was speaking about his suffering. He said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless this grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Anyone who serves me must follow me. Where is he heading? To the cross. This is just before the cross. Anyone who serves me must follow me in this way. And where I am, there my servant also will be. Anyone who serves me, my father will honor. And now I am troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then the voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus speaking about the suffering and the invitation of discipleship to take up our cross. Where I go, my servants will go. And then he prays, God, Father, glorify your name. God, I ask even now for us, would you glorify your name in us. Jesus, glorify your name in us. Suffering leads us into glory and prepares us for glory. Father, glorify your name and help us to follow you. Let's try to bring this to a close. Point one was, if you're following, Jesus is glorious. Have you beheld the glory of Jesus? Do you behold the glory of Jesus? Point number two is, in simple terms, we don't know what we are saying. We think of glory in the wrong way. We long for our current glories, our earthly glories, which mean nothing. Jesus is glorious. We think of glory in the wrong way. And number three, our future glories outweigh all our current struggles. 
what the disciples found hard to learn was that there was a new dispensation coming in a different way. Jesus was going to the cross. He wasn't going to take over the, from the Romans. They were not prepared for it. They couldn't understand it. They were hugely disappointed by it. And they struggled to accept it. Maybe that describes you. Ever been there, confused, struggling, not able to discern why is this happening, what's going on? Well, we're in good company. Peter, James, and John had the same struggles. Do you find it hard to follow in the way of Jesus and trust the will of the Father? Paul encourages us, do not lose heart. For our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. These light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us a weight of eternal glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How much weight do you give to the eternal glories? Does the glory of Christ far outweigh your earthly struggles? Do your struggles clad out the glory of Christ? I want to encourage you to behold Jesus and to allow his glory to outweigh your struggles. Satan wants to do the opposite. Satan offers glory which leads to suffering and death and brokenness. The temptation of the wilderness shows it clearly where he offered Jesus, do you want all the glories of these kingdoms? Just bow down and worship me. When we are confronted with these kind of struggles, they can go in two ways. We can choose Satan's path, where we take a quick earthly glory, something quick, easy fix, but it leads to more suffering and brokenness. And that really can happen. Or our sufferings can lead us to gaze upon the glory of Jesus. God's, God brings glory out of our suffering if we will trust him, if we will trust the Father, if we will come down from the mountain, stop building our little tents, and walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God will transform and transfigure us into the image of his Son. We will go from glory to glory, the Bible says. I'm going to hand over to Mark in a moment for communion. The beautiful glory of Jesus was enough to sustain them later on. At that moment, they said nothing when they came down the mountain. Jesus said to them, don't tell anyone about these events. And they told no one. Peter finally for a moment learned to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> I want to encourage you, <laughs> sometimes that's a good idea. Behold Jesus and just hold your tongue. I'm not saying the struggles aren't real. They are, they are very real. But sometimes it's good just to, as best you can, behold Jesus and keep your mouth closed. They came down and waited 
until after the resurrection. Then they told everyone about how glorious Jesus had revealed himself to them. After the resurrection, things made a lot more sense from that encounter. At the resur- before, during the death and burial of Jesus, they were definitely struggling and confused. Do you know the beautiful conclusion to this chapter in Luke 9? It says that Jesus then set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. He purposed to head towards the cross and we follow in his way. I want to encourage you to face the struggles that you face head on to, like Jesus, imitate Jesus. Head towards Jerusalem, as it were. If you've been involved in building tents of other kinds, maybe a poor relationship, a poor relationship with work or or with money or with pleasure, choose to stop building more more and more on that, but set your face towards the difficult job of detaching yourself from earthly glories and pursuing the glory of Jesus. Where are you setting your face towards? I know my pain shall not be wasted. The song goes, for Christ completes his work in me. Mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with him. Yet I look for worldly treasures and forsake the King of Kings. But mine is hope in my Redeemer, for though I fall, his love is sure. For Christ has paid for every failing, and I am his forevermore. Mine are tears and times of sorrows, darkness not yet understood. Through the valley I must travel, where I see no earthly good. But mine is peace that flows from heaven and strength in times of need. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me.